0: Good morning, Levner. To you here and those that are in their pajamas yet today. Just as a full disclaimer, Danny, um, you haven't seen any of this, have you? Okay. (laughs) Something personal, some detail, and something personal. I think I got it here. I do do appreciate being here this morning. Uh, Rusty guards this area. He's pretty protective of it. And uh, I feel privileged to stand here, so um, I'm thankful for that. Uh, we'll see in the next 30 minutes if that holds true or not. But um, there is something I need to say also, and that is, Phil Tooley never had an original thought. So not original thought I've ever had that that's not even my line. I took that line. I took that line from the late Dr. Michael Heiser. Um, I'm a fan of his. He, I've read a lot of his writings. I drew heavily from him this morning, so I want to give him credit for a lot of the direction I went today. But um, uh, with that said, I have really two goals today, maybe three, but at least two. And one was I want I want to look and see how we can look at something in the New Testament and and go back to the Old and pull from it and get some detail and maybe enhance what we read there and while we're doing that maybe we can get a little bit into the mind or the mindset of the people that were there present at the time that uh, in this case uh, Jesus was teaching and then as a side note you've heard this before but a lot of the scripture isn't written us it's written for us and while we're going along this journey here maybe you can kind of pick out maybe the difference between what might be written to us and what's written uh, for us well with that the second thing I'd like to look at maybe is just a simple lesson of belief and that's why Danny I thought maybe you might have seen my notes here because <laughs> we do want to look at at that this morning When I say belief, I want to make sure that uh, just for this morning, I'm going to define it like this, that I'm going to separate belief from some other words we commonly interchange with them, and that would be maybe uh, faith, trust, uh, obedience, repentance. Um, I want to talk this morning when I say belief, I'm talking about initial belief, just initial belief, okay? We're going to go to Luke chapter 4 this morning and look at when Jesus returned to Galilee. Now I'm reading from the Holman translation for only one reason and that is my late sister Becky gave me a Holman translation Bible and it's the one I use for daily reading. So I just picked that one up and ran with it. So let me read to you Luke chapter 4 starting with verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit And the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues and being praised by everyone. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Doctor, Heal yourself, what we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you... There were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elijah's time there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went his way. Now our focus is going to be on, on verse 27 uh, and the man Naaman this morning. Um, But I want to look over here at at Mark and Matthew also, because there are parallel passages there. They're not quite as long. We have more detail in Luke. But uh, we read in Matthew 13, and I'll just go with verse 57 and 58, and it says, And they were offended by him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And then also in Mark, we see the, another parallel passage, and particularly verse 5 and 6, he says he was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Well, Jesus made reference earlier when he was talking to them, uh, and it was one of the reasons they they got a little upset. And that is that he referenced two people. He referenced the widow at Zarephath and Naaman, uh, the Syrian general. Just a brief history here. After King Solomon, the nation had split into two parts. We had Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And then Syria was to the north of Israel. Well, in the time of Elijah and Elijah, it was in that time after uh, King Solomon the nation had split, is when those two prophets lived. Elijah was first, and Elijah followed him. Elijah was... Uh, we, have, we read the account of the uh, widow of, and uh, Zarephath. You can go back to 1 Kings and find that. We're not going to go there this morning for time's sake. But uh, we want to look at Elijah. And King Jer- uh, Jeroham was the king of Israel at the time, and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Uh, Syrian being to the north, had conducted a series of raids down in um, Israel, and that's what was going on at the time. And it makes it just a little bit more interesting. Now, in about 720 B.C., uh, Syria invaded and just captured Israel. It was done there. So we're going to take a little road trip back to 2 Kings, specifically chapter 5. And uh, for time's sake, I'm going to try to get through this pretty quick. But we want to look at Naaman and what was going on there when Jesus... Called this up to look at what was he referencing here, knowing that the people that were listening to Jesus talk, they knew this story. Okay, Second uh, Kings chapter five verse one. Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. So Naaman was an army commander um, and important to the king and was highly regarded. Why? Because he was victorious. And why was he victorious? Because the Lord had given him victory. Um, Now you might know this story from Sunday school days. Um, Certainly I heard it. I didn't get any of this detail when I was young. I knew this story, but... That's an important point. Tuck that away for a minute, that the Lord gave him victory. But he did. He had a skin disease. He had leprosy. So verse 2, Aram had gone on on raids and brought back uh, from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So we find here that... um, not only did they go on raid, but they took captives. Now, we don't know anything about this young girl uh, who was a servant to Naaman's wife, but we do know that um, she knew of Elijah, and she trusted God that God could use Elijah to heal Naaman. And to a degree, then, Naaman trusted her and what he said, but, you know, he's desperate. He's got leprosy, and that's not going to end well. So verse 4, So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore the king of Ammon said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. Well, we find here then that Naaman had the king's ear. He not only had the king's ear, he had the king's respect. We know that. But now he had one more thing. He had a letter. That makes it official business, king to king. So we see now that beyond that, he had resources. He had 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. Now, I did a little calculation. Uh, In our monetary system and our weights and measures, if you had 750 pounds of silver at Twenty-five dollars an ounce. That's about three hundred thousand dollars. And if you had one hundred fifty pounds of gold at two thousand dollars an ounce, that's about what it is right now. You would have a tick short of five million dollars in gold. So now look at this. He's got nine hundred pounds of metal, and he's he has about five million plus dollars. And we're not even talking about these clothes he has here. We don't know what those are, but I'm thinking they're top shelf. This is not a small caravan. This is a large group of people. They've got horses, chariots, servants, a lot of metal, and everybody that would attend this very important man. So... In verse 6, we read that he brings a letter to the king of Israel, and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. Well, when the king of Israel reads this letter, what does he do? He tears his clothes, we read in verse 7, and he says, Am I God, killing and giving life that a man expects me to cure him of his skin disease? He's just trying to pick a fight with me. Well, things were already tense here. And then Naaman shows up with this letter. He's just going to try to pick. He's going to make things worse. He just wants to pick a fight. Well, Elijah, the man of God, we read in verse 8, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, and he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So when Elijah heard this, he, he apparently knew the king and had the communication with him If you go back a couple chapters in uh, second kings chapter three we see where they knew each other but he says send him send him over my way and uh, i'll show him there's a prophet in israel i think maybe he was going to also show the king god was still working there so nathan's caravan shows up at elijah's house i have to think what a contrast this is I mean, you've got this large caravan coming in to what is probably a pretty meek uh, dwelling for Elijah. They didn't have a lot, prophets didn't have much. So I just picture this. He comes in, all the dust settles, and Naaman gets out and he comes to the door. Well, who doesn't come to the door? Elijah doesn't come to the door. He sends a messenger to the door. a little humiliating, I'm sure. It's a, and he just sends a simple message: to go wash seven times in the Jordan, your skin will be restored to you, and you will be clean. Go wash in the Jordan. Seems simple enough, but Naaman didn't like that. He got angry and left. And he's telling himself, surely he will come out and stand on the and, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hands over the place. And cure the skin disease. I, I see a little bit of humor in this, just a little bit. Probably wasn't funny to name it, but all of this pomp, and he comes up, and all this, and who he is, got to picture who this guy is. And Elisha says he him, come to the door, and he's like, surely he'd come out and at least wave his hands over me, and call on the name of his Lord. And he said, aren't the, don't we have rivers, Habana, Farpa, The rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers. Why can't I go there and wash? And he left in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, we read in verse 13, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something, great, would you have not done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in Jordan seven times according to the command of God, and his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. So he listened to the counsel of his servants. Apparently he trusted them. He stopped, he thought, and he obeyed. He obeyed what the man of God told him to do. And he was cleansed. He was not only cleansed. I, I picture uh, Naaman as a road-worn, weather-beaten, warrior. Um, But to have his skin restored to that of a small boy was something quite, some quite of a contrast we see there. And I think there's a little more tucked in there, um, and we won't pursue it today, but I think he was more than healed when it said he was made clean. So we read in verse 15, then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God and stood before him and declared, I know there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. This was Naaman's statement of belief. He obeyed, but this was him confessing. There is no God but Yahweh. And then he asked Elijah, would you take a gift from me? And of course, Elijah says no. He says, the Lord lived in whose presence I stand. I will not accept it. So he didn't take the gift, but Naaman had this question. He said, so if not, please let your servant be given as much soil as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Bit of an odd request, don't you think? Uh, Well, okay, all this is over and we got, could I just have a couple uh, bags of dirt to take back with me? Well, there's a large, fascinating study we could go to today about cosmic geography and what that entails. Essentially, we can speculate what Naaman wanted to do with the dirt. And I think maybe we see a little bit, uh, maybe get a little clue here. But he saw this as holy land, not just holy land, holy ground. And he wanted to take some dirt back with him. So, he he says in verse 18, he says, by the way, I just picture him saying, there's this one little thing I need to talk to you about. And he says, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Ramon to bow down and worship while he is leaning on my arm, I have to bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, will the Lord pardon me in this matter? His job includes going in and supporting the king. I don't know if the king was feeble or what was going on, but he, was, he had to support the king. Now, catch the irony in this. Why was Israel being punished? There were a series of bad kings, and those aren't my terms. It says king after king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord in Israel. These were not a series of good kings. Oh, there were a couple of them that, were, that did okay, but they were bad kings. Why, why were they punished? Because they were worshiping foreign gods. So here's Naaman going in to Elijah and asking him, Oh, yeah, I have to go into the temple and bow down. Um, am I going to be all right? And he already said earlier, you know, I, I will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other God. And what does Elisha tell him? Go in peace. You're good. It's okay. I think there's a little bit of takeaway here uh, that we can apply to ourselves. And that is, you know, we're, now we're standing 2,000 years later after Christ and we've, we've got 2,000 years of church tradition 2,000 years of different interpretations a lot of a lot of baggage if you please even here in Leavener we come from different backgrounds and we have different perspectives on things but what matters what matters what matters is the heart and we see this in this example it's the heart that matters you would see this with the widow at Zarephath also If we go back to Luke and we look at who might have been around there at the uh, synagogue at the time, we don't know exactly who were there, but we know that the people there were familiar with this family, and particularly, uh, it says in Mark, weren't his sisters among us when they're talking about Jesus? These were his friends, his neighbors, his relatives, um, his church family. They were all there, and yet they they were very angry. Why were they angry? This illustration that he gave them, the widow and Naaman, had something in common. The thing that was in common was that they were Gentiles. They were not only Gentiles. They were Gentiles living in a foreign land, and they would never, never be in Jerusalem. That's who they were, and that's that's what they were. Think about this. They weren't of the elect of Israel. They didn't have a temple. They didn't have Torah. They didn't have the law. They would never offer a sacrifice. They would never pray a psalm. What basis for theology would Naaman ever have? Nothing. He would have nothing. There would be no offerings. No festivals. And Cameron, if you're listening today, Naaman wasn't getting circumcised. It wasn't happening. So what did Naaman and the widow bring to the table? Nothing but belief. Nothing but belief. This became a point of friction. Yet Jesus asked of us only, only to believe. And that's the point I want to look at, maybe really what he was teaching them. You know, the most quoted verse in the New Testament maybe John 3.16, but if you look at the verses before and after, let me read a couple of them to you. John 3.14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave us His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And the first of verse 18, anyone who believes in Him is not condemned. Right, 2,000 years later after Jesus, 3,000 years after Naaman 4,000 years after Abraham. What's required? Belief. Just belief. I go to a Bible study on a Friday morning, and this verse came up, and it's a kind of a obscure verse in Micah, but I just want to read it to you because uh, it kind of struck me when I was thinking about these things. And this... Actually, three verses. Micah 6, chapter uh, uh, 6 and verse 6 through 8 says this. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with the thousands, rams, and ten thousand streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for transgression, the child of my own body for my sins mankind he has told you what is good and what is what the lord requires to act justly to love faithfulness to walk humbly with your god it's the heart that's what he wants he wants our heart he doesn't want that other stuff he wants our hearts in the old that's what he wanted And certainly in the new, nothing's changed there. So what can we bring to the table? Really nothing but belief. Belief. Every week at Leavener we hear three or four things. We hear about our new heart. Danny mentioned that this morning. Are you sure you had? Okay. Our identity. We learn of our identity. We learn about the fruit of the Spirit. We learn about the abundant life, Matt. Every week, these are triggered by that initial belief. They're gifts that come from that. Remember Thomas? Yeah, that Thomas, Doubting Thomas. I think he got a bad rap. Because if you remember, the disciples were all hunkered down in fear. And Jesus came to them. Well, Thomas wasn't there. And a week later, well, in between, Thomas says, no, I don't believe that. Uh, I'm going to have to see this to believe it. A week later, they were gathered again. Thomas was there. And Jesus shows up. And what does Thomas say? My Lord, my God. After Jesus offered to look and to feel what did Jesus say to Thomas he said because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those that have not seen me yet believed that's you that's me that's us it's been about belief Well, I hope maybe there's a couple takeaways we see maybe this morning what was written for us Maybe what was written to us. We can see that these people that were there at the time that Jesus taught in the synagogue, uh, why they got a little angry? Because he took a lot of the things away from them that they were depending on. It's about belief. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it lives. And we thank you that you, as creator, and sustainer of all things and worthy of worship have made it simple. As simple as just believe. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.